Blog Talk Radio. Live here Sunday night at 11 on Blog Talk Radio. As this Fourth of July weekend is now coming to an end, uh, I cannot recall the last time that I actually saw and encountered so many people that were drunkard and dog shit. Pretty much everyone that I saw on Thursday night, following Red, White, and Boom, uh, go to the gas station and screaming like. <laughs> They kind of sound like Luke Harper. <laughs> but have you ever had to have a conversation with someone that was just loaded beyond beyond belief out of their mind? And, and you're like, it just doesn't go anywhere. Like the natural progression of a usual conversation with, with someone that has not been drinking, you know, it just moves along a lot quicker than someone that's just drunker than, than all fuck, than a, than a dog turd submerged in 151 and – and it's just painful. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, you know, this this weekend's coming to an end. I'm happy that you know, I, I mean, I hope everyone enjoyed it. You know, I hope you enjoyed if you set off fireworks or you know, waving those flags around that were made in China. <laughs> anyway, got a big show tonight. Got DJ Aladdin. Finally have him on. Uh, schedule when this this show's been a bitch because he's been resident DJ at Club 33 for the past long while, but we're going to get into the, get him on the line here, get him connected here in a second. Right now, uh, let's go to joint here while I get him on the line. This is a Degrees and a Protégé. And you already know, you baby, already know, baby. Green, Green Street. Green Living life on my grown shit Blowing good weed on the steps Taking a couple breaths And thinking about the people I'm gon' miss Four four Uncle Kenny I'm married to I never will forget the sad day we buried you Fresh pair of Tim's Living was so good Syracuse, New York with niggas was so hood Chilling with my family Brothers and all that Dirty ass gigs Tell them bitches to fall back Never had a dime in my pocket To still hustle Mama worked two four jobs To still struggle My brother was a thug He was getting in real trouble and after all of that, a nigga is still humble. What happened to a good old day? What was this a good life? All my friends faded away. Take a look at my life. Do you see something different when you look in my eyes? Cause I, I, I can't figure it out. What was this a good life? Born in the ghetto, but nobody would know that. Nobody Every single moment that we shared was a code that. 
single jersey that we wear with a throwback. Got these rolls tight with some sticky to blow back. No skinny jeans, shirt size with a six X. And if I had more than a stack, it was success. Holla at shorty just to get him to undress. When trying to find love wasn't really a process. Times really change and I wonder what's coming next. All these situations couldn't get more complex. Our government is failing, our currency is changing The next president we have to be Asian Fake people claiming that they keeping it real Your own crew starving, they'll leave for a meal You better watch it back in 2012 Or you'll be doing 95 on the highway to hell What happened to a good old days? What was this a good life? All my friends faded away Take a look at my life Do you see something different? When you look in my eyes Cause I, I, I can't figure it out Oh, is this a good life? Yo, what you think of when you smartphone and your laptop? Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube page Just Google James Marshall Jamie Joshua Live here on Blog Talk Radio Got DJ Aladdin on the line, what's up? Now, hold on, man, how's it going, Jamie? Pretty good, um did you do anything for the fourth? Uh, anything? Set off any fireworks? Um, actually, yeah, what I did is I actually went down to Red, White, and Boom here in Columbus and uh, I just kind of hung out there for the night. Then uh, went down to Park Street and did a little bit of the drinking and stuff afterwards. So I had a good time. Uh, that was on the third, fourth. I was at uh, Evo DJing and uh, pretty much just uh, partying through the weekend. Oh, so you were actually there downtown for the for the red, white, and boom. Uh, yeah, one of the crazy people actually show. goes down. <laughs> yeah, I was there last year, you know, the beer trailer set by that. I heard they're going to move it next year. They don't know where the hell they're shooting the shooting the fireworks off from. Uh, I'm but sure they'll figure it out. <laughs> Did you try to get any food afterwards? Because the Taco Bell line, you know, was wrapped around the building. You know, because you're going to whore house in, in Tijuana on dollar days. Well, anyway, you've been uh, you said you were at Evolution and I I've heard that you're uh you were at Club thirty three for a while and just left there. I, I don't know if you could talk about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll give you the quick rundown. It was um it, I've got a good relationship with everybody at Club thirty three and obviously with at Evolution. Uh basically I've been at Club thirty three for about the last year and a half. And um I was actually doing the managing as well as the DJing for the past uh, six months or so. Um, they've been in the works with uh, one of the actually former bartenders. Now he's the owner uh, to actually buy it from the former owner. So basically, there's just a change of hands going on. Um, the bartender that bought it, he was now going to be the owner. He was going to be there full time, so he really wasn't in need of a manager any longer. Um, and I think he's trying to go a different direction with entertainment, which you know I, I have my own thoughts on that. But, but I respect his decision. It's his business. It's, he's going to own it the way and run it the way he wants to. So basically, it's um, kind of parting of ways there, but I wish him the best. And uh, I had lots of good memories at Club 33, so that's good. And uh, in the process, um, went and talked to my buddy uh, Jay Shaka over at Evolution, and we kind of talked about some needs that he needed uh, to have plugged in and ways that I could possibly help him out, and that's kind of what I'm doing now. So I'm uh, back, I guess you could say I'm back home. Oh, hell yeah. Shout out to DJ Jay Shaka. <laughs> good man right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a friend of the show. Uh, so, how did you? Uh, you know, most people in life, and the average person living a life, 
do not know or never encounter or actually meet or get to talk to any actual DJs. So the first actual question that most people would probably be wondering is, how did you actually become a DJ? Okay. Uh, my story is, uh, you know, I, I'll give you the the, uh, the thing that everybody's going to say. If you talk to anybody who's in music, whether it's a uh, DJ playing other people's music and mixing it or, or someone who makes music themselves, they'll tell you the same story. They were into it since they were kids. We all love music. I don't care who you are. I've never met a person who goes, oh, I freaking hate music. Who hates music? Everybody loves music. So, yeah, of course I grew up yeah. loving music and um, loving all genres of music. Um, my dad and my mom, they listened to everything. So, you know, I was exposed to lots of different stuff. So, basically, going through high school, I became, you know, a band nerd like everybody else uh, that usually sticks with music. And this is this is surprising. Like, everybody always thinks of musicians as these really cool people, and everybody thinks of these guys in high school marching bands as real dorks and stuff. But most <laughs> people who are uh, into music, that's that's how they got started. Is they were actually, you know, they learned at a young age. So anyway, so that's how I got my Oh, yeah, Marilyn music, Manson. But... Marilyn Manson was the prime example. Marilyn Manson was the biggest, quote, nerd dork in high school. <laughs> there you go. Well, he, he you know, it's debatable whether or not he still is. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's how a lot, of, a lot of people in music get started off, is they, they learn at a young age. They learn to play something, play an instrument, or get involved that way. And then they roll with it, which is exactly what happened with me. But what I've discovered is probably sometime in high school, you know, listening to the radio on the weekends or whatever, you would hear um, club mixes where they were actually broadcasting certain stations live from a nightclub. And then you get to hear music in a different way than you normally hear. You know, you go buy an album, you listen to your track, the track's over, you listen to the next track, that track's over, you listen to the next track. Listening to people mix live and blend the songs together, and um, that's kind of what really inspired me and said, wow, that's really cool. You know, you hear two songs playing on top of each other, mashed together, and, you know, mixing from one to the other without any breaks. That was awesome to me. Uh, funny thing is, though, a lot of my friends, when I was into that, a lot of my friends were going, I hate that. I hate the way they just play the songs over top of each other. Like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> but um, ultimately, it's led to a pretty good career for me. But uh, let's see. From there, let's see. I started, I just started listening to that. That kind of got me into it. I actually started uh, messing with a uh, four-track recorder that my dad had. Not even an eight-track recorder, four-track recorder. And started mixing songs together myself. So it wasn't – I didn't just start on two turntables and a mixer. I started – in the most difficult possible way, which is where you're usually literally trying to line up a tape with another tape and play them over top of each other and record them at the same time where you can't even hear them and then see if it comes out sounding good. So it was a big trial and error method, but you learn a lot about, um, and maybe it's a little techy for the, for, for people who are not DDs, but you know, pitch control, you're actually going to you know change the pitch of the song, slow it up or speed it down. So it matches up the next song coming in. And I learned a lot of it that way. But what ultimately got me into um, truly DJing was a buddy of mine who um, we'll probably talk about here in a little bit. A buddy of mine named Mike, he, was, he had a little bit of DJ experience with uh, some older friends of his. And right after high school, like almost immediately, he got um, asked to come do this uh, event for an organization called Need, which I guess the easiest way to say is it's before Ben Green was popular, these were teenagers who, you know, they basically were tree huggers. So it was, it was fun, but it was a friend of ours from high school. She said, you know, I'm directing this thing. We need a DJ for the weekend. We can't pay you much. He said, that's fine. But he called me up because he knew I had like this really extensive music collection said, Hey, why don't you come with me? We'll bring our speakers out. I don't know what, what our setup's going to be like. We'll just pack up our two cars and head on out. So we headed out there, but the problem was he got his uh, keys locked in his car. So he's outside waiting for AAA the whole time. We've got all of our stuff set up inside. 
So I get a crash course oh, on how yeah. to use a mixer and a turntable and a CD players. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, rocking this teenage party and I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked for life. I mean, it, is, it was literally just like that. The thrill of it made me go out the next day, literally the next day with my credit cards because, you know, first college student had a credit card. Go out the next day and I bought up some equipment at Radio Shack and bought some records and stuff. And, I mean, the rest is history. We we kind of put together some turntables and me and my buddy went at it and, uh, eventually worked our ways into you know, DJing for weddings and bars and whatever. It's, it didn't take long. You know, it was a quick startup. So you started at these parties and the, uh, you DJed weddings before too? Yeah, All actually, that. it's funny. My first, my first paid gig was a wedding. Oh, I, I, I DJ weddings in the regular, like uh, probably at least once a month. Um, but my first paid gig was a wedding. It was actually, um, at the time, I was working at the Columbus Metropolitan Library, and one of my bosses, who was a librarian there, he was getting married. And he said, you know, look, I've called around. I've gotten some prices. I know you're into this now. And he said, he said, I'll just tell you what my average cheap price is, and since it's going to be your first gig ever, I'll let you do it for that price. So basically for 200 bucks, I put together my stuff, went out there, and um, I actually I felt like I put on a really good show. I mean, he had a, he had a good wedding, um, good reception. Everybody was pretty pleased. And at 19 years old or 18 years old at the time, um, you know, what, what more could you ask for? You know, you're making easy money playing some music and doing something you love to do. And eventually that worked into my first club gig not long after, which was at Desert Rose Nightclub, which is in Lancaster, Ohio. And um, a lot of you young pups might not know about that, but Desert Rose was the thing in Central Ohio back in the mid-'90s, and that's where I actually was lucky enough to land my first gig, which made it um, very easy to get into some other jobs. So it was a... Uh, Quite an experience and quite a way to oh, yeah, and, um, find a way to make money. <laughs> and uh, I know the name is important now. What did you have your name back then when you started? Or, okay. Like how did you well, this get your name? Well, the DJ the DJ Latin name was, was not chosen by me. Um, basically, my buddy who I went out with to do this gig that locked his keys in the cars was stuck out doing AAA while I'm DJing this team dance. Uh, for my first gig ever, that's my buddy Mike. Well, when we started going to Desert Rose, we were going on the regular as customers, but we were also bringing new music in for the DJ at the time. Um, being out in Lancaster, they didn't really have, and I'm going to throw back some old names here, they didn't have Media Play and Camelot Music and all these, you know, um, record oh, yeah. tape outlet, which, God, I mean, it's like these, these are names that most people don't even know about, but they didn't have those out there. So we're getting new music before they do. We'd bring it out, and it's almost like they relied on us to bring it in. It's kind of how we got our in into it. And we basically, they don't give anybody your real name. You can't go by your real name when you work there. Everybody from the security guy to the manager to the DJs, they all had a nickname. My buddy, Mike, is he's a relatively short guy. He's a bigger guy. He's a half black, half Filipino, so he's got kind of an exotic look to him. He would shave his head on the side and leave it long on top and pull it back into a ponytail. He would have a, a nose ring in one ear and then an earring, I'm sorry, an earring in one ear and a nose ring. So basically by default with his mustache and goatee, he got named Genie from the movie Aladdin. So by default, I become Aladdin because we ran together. So that's how, you know, a white ginger kid becomes named DJ Aladdin after some Arabic guy that I look nothing like. So there's the origin, the origin of the name Aladdin. Yeah, and it was a sad day to me when a uh, media play closed down and uh, Camelot. There, there was even a uh, other ones like 
uh, Quicksilver, just different places where you get, where you, that sold actual singles, you know, with instrumentals on them. Yes. And different Absolutely. things of that nature, and and you don't have that these days, you know, anywhere. No, that's that's how I got into. I mean, I mean, that's one of the great things about DJing was it wasn't about going in there and playing the same song that everybody heard on the radio. It was about the remix, and that's what was awesome about these record stores, is you know, even even before I was knew that I was DJing when I was just playing the music at parties. I, I mean, that's really what I was. I was just a guy in front of the stereo switching tapes, or switching CDs, or switching whatever. But what I was doing is I was actually going out and buying the CD5s, which are like the CD singles of the day that had the original mix. They had an instrumental, they had an acapella, they had a remix, and maybe yeah. another remix. You might get five tracks of one song on one single. And these all still exist out there. You can get them if you really go to through the vinyl outlets especially, but, but it's much harder. It's like now everything's digitalized, so you're getting all your stuff you know, from, from iTunes or wherever. But back in the day, that was a thing. You'd go through and you'd flip through and you didn't know what it sounded like. You couldn't sample it first. You just said, okay, well, this, you know, I, I like Sir Mix a lot. Baby got back and it's got some mix on here called the Hurricane Mix. And let me see if that's the one that I like. And that's, so I bought, that was my first uh, big, you know, my, I would say that was my go-to song uh, for the longest time was the Sir Mix a lot. Baby got back Hurricane Mix. But Yeah. What was, what was actually the, the first actual, actual song or record that you bought album well after uh the first album i ever bought um with my own money was when i was a i was a kid um i would believe it's probably run dmc raising hell and that was oh. the probably my my first album that i ever bought and it was an album it was on vinyl um back then you know basically my dad being into music he, he you know i had a cassette player in my room he's like no 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 we're going to get your turntable and you're going to buy vinyl because it sounds better. And sure enough, you know, he, being supportive of whatever I did, I was, I was like, well, I like this one. You know, I, I, was, I was a kid. I didn't even want to say the title. You know, I didn't want to say it was Raisin, you know, H-E double hockey stick, you know, whatever. But so that's the album I want to get because I like Run DMC. I've heard them on the radio. I've, I've watched them on MTV. And he's like, he's like, okay, that's cool, you know. So that, that was my first official album that I ever bought. Was, uh, and I, I don't remember how old I was, probably 10 maybe. Yeah, I was I was eight or nine, and I actually bought a, a Purple Rain vinyl. And then, of course, oh, like I, I didn't even good. get into rap or nothing until 1990. Like before that, it was Death Leopard. That's completely funny. You say you know Purple Rain album that that was like actually you know Prince to this day is still one of my probably top five artists of all time that I you know that I respect, listen to, and and love. Right. Probably, yeah. I mean, you know, who doesn't love Prince? But do you even know about his obscure albums that he does, like uh, the Rainbow Children? You know, you know though, if, if people would buy them and, and listen to them for the actual musicality of it, not just look for some popular hit they hit on the radio, they might actually enjoy them. Right. I mean, a lot of these these um, people call them washed up, but they're 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 musicians who had their heyday, they had their big hits, and then in the case of somebody like Prince, he was somebody who. He, he, you know, he did the corporate way. He was on Warner Brothers Records for the longest time making albums for them. And eventually they, they said, well, we don't want you to put out this song, this song, this song, this song, because they're not what we want you to do. You know, they're not what we consider commercial enough. But from his perspective, he'd come to the point as an artist where he's saying, you know, I've made enough money. I want to make the songs that I want to make, you know, even if they may not sell and, and play on the radio the same way that they used to. I want to put out my music. I want, pe- I want to be heard. He was a true artist. So, yeah, I mean, even the, the more obscure albums, they're, they're worth owning for sure. Exactly. You know, he, he, he kind of actually 
originated the whole format of the three, four-minute pop song, like when you think mm-hmm. about a kiss or when doves cry. And then, uh, like, when he left Warner Brothers and started making the songs that he wanted to make, it was kind of when, you know, people kind of, everything falls apart, you know, if you don't have the uh, big push uh, promoting the album. Either right, lost, that's why he lost his major label deal. Back. I mean, he was signed to Warner Brothers to do these these projects that he he had to put out so many more albums, and literally he, he almost just kind of gave them crap to put out. And it wasn't necessarily crap, but he gave them 10 tracks to put on an album. You know, when we yeah. all know you can put 15, 16 songs on an album, he'd give them 10 tracks, you'd get a 35-minute, 40-minute album, um, just because he wanted to give them just enough to satisfy his agreement with them so he could free himself from his contract. But, yeah, he was, yeah as far as the formula for a pop song, nobody made, you know, funk pop like Prince did. And, you know, I know it's, some people say, oh, Prince is pop, he's not funk, but he's got, definitely got funk influences in him, and you'd be crazy not to see him or hear him. Yeah, do you have the uh, Lotus Flower uh, MPL Sound album? came out about... Yeah, yeah. actually, the, the funny thing about that is I got that album because somebody was at a concert, and he was literally giving them out at the concert, and they brought, sure. the, brought the album to me. So they, they, like, they like asked for this. I got DJ Buddy, and, of course, they said DJ Buddy. At that time, he's just trying to get played. He's trying to get heard, and he's trying to get his new music out. So, yeah, that's actually how I got a copy of that one, was uh, somebody brought into me. It was actually in a cardboard sleeve, uh, before he even went to press for you know commercial release, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I had to I had to wait for the commercial release. I had to go get a shit from Target, <laughs> but that was kind of like a return to the form as far as this old sound. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, let's get into so you so you you became a DJ and and you're, you became a DJ. What, what was the first club? I know you worked at City Limits, um, but uh, what was your first gig at? And as far as DJing at a nightclub on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, that was that was actually Desert Rose out in Lancaster. And the way that I got in there, like I said, is that, you know we used to bring music out, and because we were helping out the DJ at the time, who's very well. I mean, I respect him. He's not even really in the business anymore. I don't even know if he does weddings anymore. Who's a guy that went by the name of Jeff? His name was Jeff Hunter. He went by the name of Jazz when he DJs J A Z, but he wouldn't use Jazzy Jeff because Jazzy Jeff was already out there. But um, uh. Jazz was the DJ at the time, and. I kind of, I guess it was just, it's a matter of good timing. I, I got in there with him. He asked me if I'd want to spin a couple tracks, and he had me cover a couple teen nights for him, being that I was only, you know, 18, 19 at the time. So I would do a couple teen nights here and there, and eventually what happened is he got engaged. He was getting married. His wife-to-be kind of wanted him out of the club scene. He kind of wanted to do that for her, and he said, you know, look, I want to pass the torch to you and, you know, kind of hand this over to you. He said, but the problem is, the manager doesn't believe that a you know 19-year-old guy can rock the crowd, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you DJ with me for about the next two months, and I'm basically going to sit back there and push buttons on the whiteboard, and I'm going to let you do the thing, so that way you can see that you're worthy of it. And even though the manager was leery, um, that's kind of how it went down. I mean, that's how I got into it and got my gig, and I stayed there for about um, almost two years. Well, about a year and a half. I think it was like 95 to 97. And... Um, Really love the place. Got lots of great memories of, of Desert Rose. A lot of people don't remember what it's like. But if you think of, I know a lot of our listeners here that are probably from the west side of Columbus, they know what size Evolution City Limits is. Imagine that place. Multiply it by about one and a half times, and you've got you've got um, you've got exactly what what Desert Rose was like. And and there's there's just so much to that club that was really cool that. It's, it's very unfortunate. Once I left there, um, they made some changes almost, you know, within months after I left that just really, in my opinion, 
took away from the nuances of what was so cool about the place, but I know they were going in a different direction, and which is part of the reason that I left. And, you know, now it's, it's kind of funny because the place was called Desert Rose and everybody called it Desperate Hose. And uh, they, they called it The Rose. And now, now the funny thing is that here we are years later, the same building exists, and now it's called The Rose, and it's a church. If they knew all the dirty things oh. that happened in that building, they would never <laughs> be struck by yeah, That's kind of like the Blue Stone. Didn't the Blue Stone used to be a church or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Blue Stone was. It was a church also. So it's amazing that we're um, um, but things go through. So you're out here and you're you're out here and you're uh, as a DJ working uh, like uh, the current the current scene because you you haven't been out of, of the scene at all. Like uh, what's your no, opinion right now? I've taken right three now? or four months breaks twice. <laughs> I've taken a three or four months break twice when I thought I was going to be done, and I I couldn't stay away. I thought eh, I'm going to take a break, but then the itch is there. It's 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 ingrained. I don't know when I'll ever stop. Yeah, what's your what's your opinion of the current scene uh, in Columbus? Well, the, the current scene here in Columbus is um, it's 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 tough. The problem is now, and this this is probably uh, other cities might face the same same kind of challenges that we do. Is that it's easy to get into DJing now. You buy some software, you buy a few pieces of of, of equipment, and the software does a lot more work for you than it ever did before. I'm not against software at all. I, I use it, and almost every DJ I know uses it. People who sit here and go, oh, well, you're not a DJ if you don't use Lino. You're not a DJ if you don't use this or that. That's not what DJing is anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm not threatened by all the people who are getting into the business um, at a young age with very little experience because ultimately that's not what makes you a great DJ. The problem, though, with the scene is, though, is that there are so many DJs out there and only so many places to work. So it becomes harder and harder for a bar owner or manager or anybody who maybe doesn't completely understand that aspect, that side of the business and what it means to them, it's harder for them to find out who they should be hiring. And there's always a guy out there that's willing to come in and say, I'll do it for less. I'll do it for half the price of the last guy. There's people who would do it for free just because they want to be in there, and they're probably in there for the wrong reasons if they're doing it for free. I'm not saying you should be in it all for the money, but if you're doing it for free, you're probably in, in it for the drinks and the girls. And while we all love to drink, and who doesn't love girls – girls around nowadays um that's not the reason to be into the, to it i mean that's and that's not going to make you laugh the djs that i know that have lasted in this business have to because they love music and because of what they do the problem with the scene though is that you like i said you've only got so many clubs and you've got a ton of djs so you have a lot of clubs that are switching djs all the time not just because they want the variety but because literally it takes them a long time to find someone who's good and when they do find someone who's good they may latch on and run with that person for you know a long time or maybe even a year or more and one of my claims to fame i mean I, I i take great pride in this i haven't played a whole ton of bars i mean i have not played a whole ton of, of venues but i've been constantly employed as a dj for 19 plus years and the reason why is because i feel like i make it I take it very personal to do exactly what that venue needs to keep them going the direction that the ownership wants them to go. If I feel like the place is not going the way that I want it, that, that I, if I feel like the management or the ownership is not correct, then I will go ahead and move on on my own. But for the most part, every gig that I've been at has been, I've been at for at least more than a year. And some of them like city limits back in the day, I was there for um, a total of like seven, eight years. I mean, it was, it was the longest running gig that I've had. So that's that's, uh, I guess I guess pick I'm up sure back to your all, I'm sure during oh, all those years, years, you have a lot of 
We keep talking over each other. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, to come back to the scene thing. As far as the scene is concerned, I think that there are a lot of talented DJs in Columbus that get that get missed over. Um, but I think the ones that are, who truly are the best, they're regularly employed. They're out there. They're doing their thing. And as far as the club scene in Columbus is, I think it could be bigger. But for the most part, if you're not downtown, you're probably not a great dance club, with a, with the exception of a few on each side of town. I mean, you literally probably have one west side club that's a dance club, and that's that's Evolution. You probably have one east side club that you could consider a dance club, which was Screaming Willies. Now it's called Exclusive, and I really don't even know what they're doing there. I, I honestly haven't been there since they've changed the name and decor or whatever. And up north, they've got a, a lot of places that try to be dance clubs, but but they, they don't last long enough. They, don't, they just don't have the staying power to say for sure what it is. For the most part, um, the scene is downtown, and that's what's kind of cool about Evolution is they actually try to bring a lot of that downtown atmosphere outside of downtown so you don't have to travel and get your DUI coming back and forth from Columbus downtown. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of these places will like like try to like reinvent themselves and, and it's, it ends up not working. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, you you mean you, you close down because your old theme just kind of wore out. They reopen either, either under new ownership of the same people. They try a new theme. Um it's and honestly it is harder for nightclubs and bars than it used to be because the reason that people used to go to nightclubs and bars was they went out there to meet women, meet men. I mean, girls went to meet men, men went to meet women. That was the way you did it. You went out to the bars for that. That's not as no, as, as much of a necessity as it used to be. You know, we've got the Internet now. People get brave. Yeah, they, can, they, can, you know, they can try to date. They can try to hook up. They can try to get just casual sex. They can do all of that through computerized means now. So they don't necessarily need the face-to-face interaction. It's, and, and for them, it's even – for the shy guy, it's safer over the Internet. You can say what you want to say to whoever you want to say, however you want to say it, and, and the fear of rejection is not the same. Um, but what it comes down to is people are going out to clubs less. The people who come to clubs now really either want to go out for a drink and have a good time with their friends or they really want to party and dance. But for the most part, they're not having to go there for the same reason that they used to. So it's harder for clubs to stay in business. So they really got to try harder to entertain their customers properly to keep them coming back. Yeah, and uh, that's that's why I go out mainly is with friends and stuff. <laughs> but um, um, as you as you've been working, uh, like what what are what are some like like I'm sure you've seen a lot of shit. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen a lot of the crazy things that happen as, you, as you've been working. Does it distract you if a fight breaks out? Do you do you just keep going? I mean, I mean, like 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 what are what are some of the Moments and during all your years, like that, uh, you would you would say were, were very tough to work through. Okay, well, I'll say that that first of all, when your question about you know when a fight breaks out, what do you do? Um, if you see the fight break out, first thing you do is you try to somehow alert security without alerting everybody in the building, because we all know that if somebody knows there's a fight, there's going to be two things that are going to happen: either they're going to scatter and leave, or they're going to scatter towards the fight and make it impossible for somebody else to get up there and take care of it. Um, and, and it's an unfortunate thing. I mean, f- fighting is an unfortunate thing in, in any bar. Um, some of them have more and less problems than the other. Some of that's due to security. Some of that's due to environment. Some of that's due to just um, basically atmosphere of that, si- that part of town, whatever it may be. Exactly, environment, um, drunk, drunk ass folks. <laughs> right, exactly. You've got drunk people, and, and the fact is, the busier that it is, the more, fact that, the more chance that two people that don't like each other are going to run into each other and, you know, do whatever they do. 
But if there's okay, but, but my personal philosophy as a DJ is that if the fight is if there's a fight that breaks out, my philosophy is if I can see that it's being taken care of already by the security staff, I make no mention of it. I don't stop doing what I'm doing. I keep on moving because the less people that know about it, the better. If they don't know that it's happening, they will continue having a good time and enjoying their evening. Once you know, two idiots act like idiots, or more than two idiots act like idiots, then everybody jumps in and or jumps around it or wants to see it. And it makes it hard for everybody to do their job, which is just subdue the two people that have probably had too much to drink and just need to go home and sleep it off or whatever it may be. So I try not to draw any attention to it. It used to be back in the day when I first started, the, the solution when there was a fight was to play a slow song to change the atmosphere and change the mood. Um, I've been in here for 19, 20 years. The music does not cause people to fight. People cause people to fight. They could care less what song yeah. I'm playing at that moment. Um, there's certain, you know, the, obviously the music creates an environment, and if you play a certain kind of music all night long, that's fine. But stopping playing the music does not stop the fight from happening. It's not like, oh, oh, he, it's not musical fight. You know, musical like musical chairs. Oh, he stopped playing the music. Now we got to stop fighting. No, they're going to still go, go on. So I'd rather people don't now. Um, but as far as crazy things, I've had people come up and spill drinks on my equipment in the middle of the night, um, uh, making it very difficult to go on. And that's fairly recent. That actually happened within the last two years. Um, cost me, you know, an $800 mixer, and it was, it was not pretty. Um, guy never came back into the bar again. He was a regular before that, but um, he stopped coming in after that because he felt so guilty for what he did. Uh, came back later in the night and goes, oh, dude, I really was just coming up to give you a $5 tip because you've been doing a good job. I said, well, thanks for the $5. Now where's the other 795 that's going to cost to replace this thing? <laughs> so, it, but, I mean, that, that, I've had crazy stuff like that. Um, crazy fun stuff. Yeah, you're, you know, it's a DJ. And this job, there's a lot of crazy fun stuff that goes on. There's always, um, you know, if, if you're a lesser person with, with a less of an eye for reality, um, there's always girls that are, you know, willing to make offers to get favors. Um, I don't know, I'll leave it as, as vague as I can there. But and you, 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 yeah, you like, I want to hear more about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. This and this, it's it's very tame by today's standards. But you know, back when I'm you know 18, 19 years old, just starting off, it's kind of cool. Um, and you know, we, I'm sure my ex-wife is not listening, which is good because this happened while we were just started dating. But there's a girl who came up to the DJ booth um, who was a fairly regular at, uh, at Desert Rose where I was at the time, and she asked for some songs or a couple songs, and I told her, I said, well, I've already played that one. She's like, she's like well, what would I get to, take, to, to make you play it again? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I've already played it. You know, we've only got two hours left in the night, and then at Desert Rose, we had a light guy that would, you know, help out. It was a very big club, so we had one guy that ran lights while well, you DJ. My light guy comes over and goes, tell him to show him your boobs. So, you know, I'm a 19-year-old kid, and I'm like, okay, um, yeah. And she, she goes, okay, well, I'm not going to do it here in front of everybody. I'm like, all right. So we walk over into this amp closet, which is basically we had a closet where we kept all the amplifiers and everything. It's just basically all the sound ran through it. So I go in there, close the door. Sure enough, she shows me her tits, and then she asks <laughs> if I would like to continue our activities. And that's when I had to say, no, I have a girlfriend, but you look amazing. And then we <laughs> – and I went back to doing my job, and 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 stuff like that. That happens quite often. Your girl, girls want to flash, whatever. And and it's and it's not as much as it used to, which is surprising because you think you know people are more loose with that kind of thing than they used to be. But honestly, it seems like in the past, maybe I'm just getting older and less attractive, so they don't want to <laughs> they don't want to show me their boobs anymore. But um, yeah, it's it's a thing. I mean, there's there's stuff like that 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 happens. And a smart DJ, a good DJ, knows that you know what when it comes right down to it. 
you're not really into me. You're you're just drunk and wanting to have a good time and wanting to hear your song played. So I can completely talk to you in a different way to make, like you know, hey, I'm going to take care of you, play your song or whatever. You don't need to go that extra mile or whatever. But yeah, there, there's and there's plenty of other offers. I've, I've gotten offered drugs as a tip for playing a song, which I don't I don't do drugs at all. I've got you know people you know, if you smoke up or do whatever you want to do, you people do what you want to do. That's that's your life or whatever. Um, it's not my life, and it's not, and it's just not what I'm into. But it's just uh, stuff like that. They go, hey, you know what? You know, I got a joint for if you, you know, play my jam. I'm like, I'll play your jam. You can keep your joint, but please do not bring it to the bar. <laughs> yeah. Take that heck out to the club, out to the car, because uh, you don't want to get busted in here with that. So, and there's always crazy stuff that goes on. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure any 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 girl that's uh, that you've been with over the years has to understand that you are in fact a DJ. So you're going to encounter these kind of things. Just from that oh, line, you know, that profession. <laughs> yeah, dating is tough. Dating is really tough. And um, if you ever, I don't know if you, uh, I know you had Jay Chocolate on, and I don't know if he talked about this much, but in this industry, period, even for bartenders or something, it's tough. D- dating is tough because, in a way, being a flirt and being the life of the party is part of your job. And the person that you're with has to be very confident of that. My ex-wife, for example, yeah. she was never confident of that. Let's just remove the whole girl show me her boob story. <laughs> she knew nothing of that. So, but she just wasn't confident anyway. She was very insecure about it. Um, I remember my first night at uh, O'Toole's on West Broad. Um, I went there to this. That was after I was done with Desert Rose. That I kind of got recruited to come out to O'Toole's. So I went out there for just kind of like a little tryout. And tryout was supposed to be like three hours long. I stopped at midnight. And two girls come up to me and go, come on, keep playing some more, keep playing some more. I'm like, like ah, no, it's a, it was a three-hour tryout. I've done my tryout. You know, I'll be back here this weekend. Everything worked out good. They hired me. I'll, be, I'll see you this weekend. And sure enough, my ex-wife was sitting there. Um, she was my girlfriend at the time, so she, we weren't engaged, weren't married or whatever. But she's sitting there. Well, one of these two girls goes, hey, you know what? If you play another song, my sister will show you her boobs. Like I said, this is a common theme. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, and her, first of all, her sister goes, oh, stop it, and like hit her, you know, hit, hit the other girl on the shoulder. You're like, like you, know, you know, don't volunteer my titties or whatever. But I was, just like, I was just like, no, no, really, really, I'm done. So immediately my ex-wife runs across the bar, comes up in her face and goes, that is my boyfriend. You don't need to be showing him your boobs, blah, 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 blah. And, I'm like, and I have to stop seven by and say, she's just joking. It was a joke. There's nothing going on. And eventually situations like that led to – me having I mean I we just went too far we got we got married and all that stuff but ultimately it didn't work out because she was an insecure person and it it didn't matter what job I had because I had I did quit DJing for a while and you know for about four or five months and took another job and then she found something wrong with that and she was still insecure about girls there it's just that people who are insecure should not date people who are in um an industry where you do have to flirt where you do have to play a persona, play a role, whether it's a musician, whether it's a DJ, whether it's a bartender, whether it's it's something like that. that that's just kind of goes with the territory. You have to be a little more secure. And I've been fortunate enough that nobody that I've dated since then has been nearly that insecure. Um, some of them have been completely accepting of what I do. Um, some of them have been like, ah, well, it's, you know, it's not my first choice, but it's your love and your passion. I understand. So I'm going to check my jealousy because I understand what you're doing. So it, it depends on the girl, but yeah, for the right, most part, yeah, jealousy is not good for this industry. Well, and um, also besides that, the fact that uh, any relationship that lasts even a year is, is an accomplishment. <laughs> Despite Hell yeah. You know, a DJ and everything. 
his, his is no, very yeah, yeah, his, his, I just throw some, that's why I'm chronically single is because honestly, <laughs> nothing works out. I see too many people making too many stupid mistakes and, you know, I'll call them out on it. And I, I, it's, it's almost like if you're single long enough and you observe everybody else, you realize where everybody else screws up. So that way, when you are ready for a relationship yourself or find the right person, you feel better equipped to do it because it's like I sit there and watch people screw up after screw up after screw up and say, you should have saw this, you should have saw this, you should have saw this. And some of my best yeah. friends make the worst mistakes. And, them, and it's like I could warn them if I wanted to, but then I sound like I'm a hater and just don't want them to be happy. But ultimately, that's what I want is I want them to be happy and stop making mistakes with people who are just going to make them miserable. Yeah, it's kind of like people in that position. And when you're actually in it, and in the situation, uh, you're not going to listen to anything anyone has to say. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely uh, You'll not. regret it. You'll understand it and be like, you were right, <laughs> like later on down the road. Oh, but, but, but yeah, but in that moment, you're thinking with your heart, and your heart's telling you that I, I love this person, or I care about them, or I can make it work. I can change them. They'll change for me. I'm that. Uh, no, they're not going to change. People are who they are, and they're gonna, they, they will make minor changes for you. They will make adjustments in their life to, to make to accommodate you if they really care about you, but ultimately, people are who they are. They're, you're not, they're not going to change. So yeah. they say don't judge somebody by their past. In a way, what else the hell, what else the hell else are you going to judge them by? If you can't judge them by their past <laughs> and their present, then what are you going to judge them by? I don't know what you're going to be like in the future, but I know that so far you've done this, you know? Right. It's like throwing a paper airplane through a brick wall in most cases. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm like sure, if, I, if I ever met a girl who said who said that she, you know, had she said, yeah, well, me and my ex boyfriend broke up because I just I couldn't handle him doing this. I was jealous of his friend. I was jealous of this. I, ah, red flags, and we're done. <laughs> we're not even talking anymore. We're not talking anymore because you've got jealousy issues, and that's something that I just don't feel like trying to fix. It's not my job to change your opinion about the whole male gender just because you've had been screwed over in the past, you know. I'm not scarred, so I hope you're not either. And if you are, then you're probably not the person for me. <laughs> so, uh, out of uh, when you're up there DJing and people come up to you, they come up to the booth and they request things. Uh, what is the strangest or the wackest or, or, or request someone asks you to play that you, you just never would? <laughs> I remember reading one oh, last, uh, last year. What's that? What did you say that? I remember you hearing about one from you last year when someone oh, came last up year. to you. What's the one I told you about last year that happened last year? <laughs> Juggling members. Well, I'm Juggling not going to say it because it For all your listeners out there, the and I have had conversations before about this stuff, so so it's like I'm trying to remember what we talked about. Yeah, but yeah. I'll, I'll give you one I'll that happened I'll tell you later. I'll tell you after that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's not bad. Okay, um, I'll give you one that happened fairly recently. A few months ago, uh, somebody came into Club 33 while I was sitting there, and he came up and just asked for some, some off-the-wall stuff. I mean, you know, it's a Saturday night. It's about 1130. People are dancing, doing, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's a party night. And he'll come up and say, hey, man, can you play some Zeppelin? No, I can't play some Zeppelin. Straight up. You know, <laughs> you, you, you've got to look at your atmosphere and say, look, dude, okay, what, what are – Looking around here, what makes you think that these girls that are dancing right now want to hear Zeppelin? Well, they might not want to hear Zeppelin, but the dudes over by the pool table, we want to hear some Zeppelin. I'm like, well, you dudes over at the pool table aren't, you know, dancing. And, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell people, honestly, once I say this, they kind of get it. I'm like, ultimately, women rule the nightclub. 
You make the women happy, yeah. and everything will go smoothly. Because the men will go wherever the women are, so I'm not worried about attracting men in. I'm worried about making these women happy, because if they're happy, they're going to come back every weekend with more and more girls every time. And they'll basically, you know, suffer you guys for more and more free drinks every time. So if they're, I don't care who's paying for them, whether it's them or you, somebody's paying for a few drinks, and I'm doing my job. So it's always about making the women happy. But the funny thing about this guy was is he asked for all these things. Sure enough, about four weeks later, he calls me up, and, you know, he's got my number. And he goes, he goes um, I, by the way, I was at the bar a few weeks ago, and I asked you this, this, and this. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't get to play your request. Like, well, he said, honestly, he said, I really do like those songs, and I want them played at my wedding, and I want you to be my wedding DJ. And I was like, that, I said, I'm, okay, I'm trying to get this together, why would you want me to be your money DJ when I wouldn't play what you want to hear? He said, because you played what you needed to play for the people who were paying you. And he said, I'm going to pay you to play. Like, they paid you not to. It's like, I'm glad you get it. I'm glad you get it. So, yeah, I did his wedding. It went off great. It was a, you know, it's kind of, you know, weird music choices, but it was what he and his uh, fiance wanted, and, you know, that you hired me to do a job. It's what I'm going to do, but um, there's always ones like that, and of course, there's always people. And, and I, this is not to disparage anybody who who does music locally. You know, we've all got to start somewhere. But most of the time, if I don't know who you are, I've never heard you before, and you come up and ask me to play, hey, can you play my song? Can you play my song? I'm like, all right. Um, do you got a flash drive? Do you got a CD? No, no, man. Can you plug my phone in and play it off my phone? So look, dude, I've never heard your song before. It's on your freaking phone. I'm not playing your phone through the sound system 